But I want to talk about uh, worship this morning. And, um, you know, the, again, one of the things God's done through this whole uh, process of our gear getting stolen is break my heart once more for how so many people in the bay live. Yeah. You know, for the people that stole our gear, mm. I wouldn't want to swap lives with them for all the tea in China. Yeah. The fear and the pain and, uh, and the paranoia and the, all of that. It's just so painful. And talking to police and talking to members of our church who've got histories and gangs and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just broken my heart. I'm like, this is such a, it's such a hard world. Yeah. And after a while when you follow Jesus or you come from a nice well-adjusted home like I have and God's been good to you, you can forget that most people don't live like that. Most people live in, in a world of pain. Yeah. So of course you turn to alcohol and drugs to take the edge off. Yeah. But then there's consequences to that. Because it does work for a bit. But then it, it takes something from you. It takes You need a little bit more to get the same bars. You need a little bit more. And then you get, in this, then you get into a prison where you're trapped. Yeah. And what did God say? I've come to set captives free. Hallelujah. And for some of you in our church, it's like you're still in that process of God bringing healing to those painful bits in your life, those habits you're not proud of, those things you turn to that you know you shouldn't turn to. And every one of us have that journey to varying degrees. And uh, can I encourage you to be as honest as you can with God and wisely as honest as you can with others? Because the only way out of that is humility. The door to working with Jesus is humility. To receive Jesus, you need humility. To get whole, you need humility. And so you've got to get honest and just start having to cut it all with, with those that you can trust around what it is that you're struggling with. So that we can, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's shameful bringing it up, but we will just, we're going to be agents of His grace. We're going to point to Jesus. And if anyone makes you feel stink, talk to the pastor. And then I'll deal to them. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, stop it, please. Ooh, get in your grill. Um, and so, but here's the thing. All of that, so my, I'm like, oh, my heart's been broken again. And then it's like, so what about Bay Vineyard? And here's the thing. That the only thing that we can offer of worth to the Bay, to the most broken people in our region, is Jesus. Amen. And so this is why worship is so important. This is the big goal for us, is I want us to be people of His presence, that love His presence, that carry His presence, that seek His presence. Like, that's it. That's everything for us is the presence of God. You're like, in time, I pray, we set up many trusts that do social services and the Nui and all around the place. I really do. But I don't want us to be a church that does social work. I want us to be a church that does kingdom work. So we're going to be unashamed about the fact we are passionate about Jesus. You know, and uh, Jackie Pullinger, and I met her last year, this time last year at, uh, at New Wine. She's tough, man. She is. I want to be on her side of the table if we're having a discussion, a disagreement or something, because she's strong. Jackie Pullinger turns up, uh, she, she jumps on a boat, young British woman, jumps on a boat, says, God, just take me wherever you want to take me. I want to be used by you. She feels when she gets to Hong Kong that that's where God's called her. So she, she's this British girl, turns up to Hong Kong. At that point in Hong Kong, they had what was called the walled city. 
and it was completely gang controlled and completely wrecked by opium addiction. And that's where God called this little British woman. And so she goes in there and she tries to do techniques with evangelism, all that doesn't work. And so then she just seek, starts seeking the presence yeah. of God. Amen. And so then she starts seeing things start happening because she's just walking in steps the Holy Hallelujah. Spirit. Hallelujah. And people yeah. say you can never get free from an opium yeah. addiction. But what they would do is people that want to get free, they would lead them to the Lord, but then say, you've got to pray in tongues and we're going to pray in tongues with yeah. you. So they'll That's pray so that they'll get filled with tongues. Yeah. And to this day, they have, to, to this very day, it's happening right now in Hong Kong. People with opium addictions will come into her, uh, into the commune that they've got. Yeah. They will just lie in bed, and people will be next to them 24 hours a day, taking four-hour shifts just to pray in tongues over them and write prophetic words next to their bed. That's how people get free. And so we're going to be serious about the gifts of the Spirit so that we can use the weapons that God's given us to see real change in people's lives. And if you're struggling with addictions or struggling with brokenness, don't just try and grit your teeth. Lean into the things yeah. of God. Amen. If you don't have the gift of tongues, we've got people here who would love to pray for you that you can activate that gift. Amen. Okay? Yeah, yes. It. Anyway, and guess, guess who? <laughs> guess who? Nah, it's good. Nah, it's right. You do, man. It's all good. Whatever, man. Just go for it. Problem is when you're not here because you've got to do a nohul murai, it's all very quiet at church. That's the only problem, but it's all good. Um, at least you'll be with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true, okay. <laughs> uh, separate conversation. Okay, let me go back to my notes. So here's the thing. As I said last week, I want us to be people of the... This, I feel like God wants us to be people of the Word and people of the Spirit. So we're going to love the Word of God. And can I encourage you, if you've fallen off the wagon since last Sunday, to get back on the wagon. And can I encourage you, if you're sticking with reading the Bible and it's been a while between drinks, I'd love you to post on our little baby community page. I've been reading the Bible again, and man, it's been good for my soul. Or I feel like I've got some breakthrough there. Can we please use that Bay Vineyard page to encourage one another? It's not just us posting notices. It's us encouraging one another. I don't want super Christians bragging. I don't want that. I want vulnerable, weak people sharing about how God's bringing them to wholeness. So if you've had some sort of encouragement, you know, share it with us. That's the great place to do it. But let's get back on the wagon. If you've fallen off the wagon since last Sunday, let's read the Word. Soak in the Word. That was last week's message. The podcast will be up tomorrow for last week because my laptop broke. I'm, as I said last week, I'm like Job right now. It's like everywhere I look, like my gear's not working. I got my sound gear, my laptop's broken. Karen the legend fixed my laptop, so we're going to post that next week. So read, listen to that, please, if you weren't there, because that's a crucial talk for the culture of our church. We're going to love the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. But I really want us to lean into this thing of the presence of God. And one of the best ways we can do that practically is by building a lovely culture of worship to our God. Uh, in the Anglican prayer book, in Psalm, they, they've translated Psalm 22 verse 3 like this. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Lord just, the Lord, there's something about worship. Worship's a big deal for God. It's a huge deal for God. In fact, one of the most prominent themes in the Old Testament is the theme of worship. Worship and idolatry. That's the big theme in the Old Testament. And the battle for Israel uh, was never whether they would worship, it was who or what they were going to worship. And the same is true today. The battle for the human being is not whether they will worship, it's who or what they will worship. Everyone in our culture worships something. 
and worship is what consumes the focus of our heart and mind. What consumes the focus of our heart and mind. And so for most people, it's money or it's power or it's significance. It's like that is what they worship. And so sports teams get idolised because they've become significant. Or the wealthy become idolised because or money in itself is an idol because we think with that we don't need God. We have all the security we need and we have significance because of what we earn. Or it may be power that if I become a politician or if I become uh, influential at work and I have some power and, and it never satisfies, right? So you read Ecclesiastes. So there's this clutching, I want this, and then you think it's so close and it slips through your hands and on it goes. That that's why gangs are a big deal. Power. Idolizing power. If I'm wearing this patch or if I'm somebody, then I have power. And so in the Old Testament, the theme of worship was a big deal because it's exactly the same for them. And God was saying, I am the one to worship. Everything else finds its place when I am on the throne of your hearts. That is where things come together. So God said to Moses at the burning bush, Tell Pharaoh to set my people free. This is in Exodus 9 verse 1. Let my people go so that they may worship me. This was why God wanted to set the Israelite uh, free so they would learn to be a worshipping people after being in slavery for so long. It's exactly the same today. We get in slavery through addictions and through the quest of all this stuff. And God sets us free. Do you know how good freedom feels? He wants to set us free and then teach us to worship him, that you are the one that we adore. You are on the highest place. If you look at the uh, Old Testament, God takes this huge amount of interest in his house, uh, the the tabernacle. You know, have you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy? It's like, mate, God, you know, the detail. You know, it's got to be just right. And to worship me, you've got to do just these things. Like it was a huge deal for God that they would, this holy God was worshipped in the right way. And so then Jesus comes on the scene with all of that history. And then the, 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 they say, what's the greatest commandments? Can you summarize all of the Old Testament and the prophets? And he says, it's this, to love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul, with everything that you are. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the second commandment completes the first. And so it's both. But a lot of us are gritting our teeth trying to love our neighbor. And we feel like we're not very good Christians because we've got such a short wick. Or, you know, we get driven up the wall so quickly, all the rest of it. And the problem is it's the first commandment that all of that love comes from. It's John 15 when we get into, into those rhythms, daily rhythms of enjoying him, worshipping him. Our heart and our minds, attentions and affections are lifted to him regularly. Then all of a sudden, uh, I may not have the, the love in me to love that difficult person, but I know the one who does. And he fills me with his love and it becomes a conduit for, for his love to bless and serve others. And so this is the greatest commandment. I used to be like, a little bit, it's like, well, you know, what, what is the deal with all of this worship stuff? You know, because um, part of me is like, well, God, are you really insecure? <laughs> you know, like, do you have an inferiority complex? You know, like, praise me, you know, worship me, hallelujah me, adore me, you know, and it's like, 
what's going on with you, God? Do you have an insecurity thing that you need? Like, do you wake up sometimes and go, you know, oh, I'm feeling a little wobbly today. Come on, what am I? Am I all right? You know, you're good. Hallelujah, you are good. Oh, whew, okay, that's good. I'm good. You know, it's be like, well, why do we? You know, why does he have to hear this stuff all the time? And, uh, and it's, I've taken this journey for a long time to to understand that worship isn't about buttering God up and making himself feel better. God feels really good about himself. God doesn't have an insecurity problem. God doesn't have doubts about himself. It's this. Worship, in whatever way, it's again, sound systems, instruments, songs are all tools to worship. They aren't worship. Really important distinctive. But all of that stuff is used to express love to God. And that's what worship's all about. Because love expressed is painful. Love that hasn't been expressed is very painful. Like it's very difficult to love without expressing it. Mm. It's actually impossible. You cannot love somebody without in some way, shape or form expressing it. And so what worship is, is it's using tools that God has given us to express love to him. Worship to him. Give worth to him. That's what worship is all about. Ultimately, worship is about intimacy. It's about intimacy. It's about being close to God. And that's what the the Lord's after, is he wants um, our hearts. It's interesting, there's a couple of words that are used for worship. In the Old Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, Septuagint, is that right? That's about right, Septuagint. My Old Testament lecture is melting away at the moment. Um, the word was latrio, and it was the same word as to work. So the same word for worship was the same word they would use for work. And so the, for the Israelites, worship was just about everything in their lives. Yeah. Having this, giving glory to God. One of the series, on, and when the Lord kind of gives us a, a sense of the right timing, I wanted a series on work and faith, faith and work. Like your day job, how does that get affected when you choose to follow Jesus? How important is it to God? And blah, blah, blah. But for the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word for worship was work. Like as I do all of this stuff, it's just in, it's worship for him. It's all of life. It wasn't compartmentalized to listening to certain CDs or being in certain locations. It was all of life as, as worship to him. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, it's the same word. Uh, and for example, in Romans 12:1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, your true and proper latrio, yeah. like your true and man. <laughs> just take communion in view of His mercy, in view that you're utterly forgiven, whether you believe it or not, yeah. whether you feel it or not, in view of how much He loves you, in view of the cross. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. I'm all yours. This is worship to God. It's all yours, God. Not just bits. I want you to have it all. Um, The other word in uh, the New Testament is this word proskunio. It's used over 50 times. And it's uh, it's this word that they picked up from the secular world. And they're like, "That's, that's worship. And get this. In the secular world, the word proscunio was used when a hound or a dog licked his master's hand. That was the word they picked. 
that, like, that's worship that there. And so it speaks to reverence and awe and intimacy. Uh, it's coming close. It's drawing near. It's both awe of the holiness and transcendence of God and delight and intimacy and relationship and friendship at the same time. It's the great paradox of the nature of God. Unbelievably holy and yet our friend and wants to draw near to us and embrace us and knows us by name. That's the word they picked for. Uh, and so there's this intimacy that's part of, of worship. In uh, Genesis, before the fall, there's this lovely moment where the Bible says that God was walking in the cool of the evening looking for Adam and Eve. And I suspect that was a regular thing. I just, you know, we've got these beautiful evenings at the moment. Can you imagine, you know, God walking just in the cool of the evening and Adam and Eve there in just intimacy and in fellowship with him and just being that close. Like, that's what it was like. This particular moment, uh, God walks in this garden and he's looking for them. And they've eaten the tomato, apple or fruit or whatever it was, right? And... And then all of a sudden they felt naked and ashamed. And straight, the first thing they did was try and cover their nakedness. And you know what this is? It's all of a sudden people don't want to be vulnerable with God anymore. They're afraid. They don't want to be vulnerable. Here's, guys, worship is vulnerable. Intimacy is vulnerable. It's opening our hearts. And so this is why... Uh, with worship, as sung worship, what happens is, is there's a journey that takes place of getting comfortable of vulnerability and intimacy with God in song. And that in time begins to affect our body language. The Bible talks about in the New Testament of lifting up holy hands. Now, the, that's a vulnerable posture to have. And when I first became a Christian, and I, I became a Christian in worship, I'm very passionate about it. That's why I'm not bothered about us being seeker sensitive. I want us to be red hot with the presence of God. And if people walk in here and it's a bit weird, but they feel the presence of God, that's a win. Because I thought it was weird, but then I was undone because the presence of God, the Lord had inhabited the praises of his people. And so then I began to sing with my friends, but I was at the back with my hands in my pockets. Why? Because I was too cool for Jesus. And that's fine, because he loved me to bits anyway, and it's not about where your hands are, it's about where your heart is. So he could see where my heart was, and it was all good. But then he began to set me free of my insecurity and my pride, and now I can worship him with abandon, with my body and with everything. And the danger is, I can go into autopilot today. So I hey, love you, Lord. And I'm like, oh, man, I remember I'm moving this week. Oh, man, I'm busy working. I'm like, did you get the milk? I can't remember if you got the milk. Yeah, I love you, Lord. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, mate, Harvey's really, whoa, he's looking good today. Yeah, oh, he's all red hot. And it's like, mate, I'm thinking about the milk and the move. And it's like, well, no. We've got to bring our hearts to him. We've got to bring our hearts to him. Even if I, if I a thousand times my mind wanders, I'm going to bring it back to Jesus. And that's a thousand choices I've made for Jesus. I'm going to keep choosing him. I, I want to bring him my heart. But the danger is that we can turn this whole music thing on a Sunday into a, uh, into a, consumer, a consumer product. Where worship becomes about what we like. Yeah. 
not about giving him the glory and, and, the, and the worth that he deserves. And uh, one of my friends, uh, a guy called Mike Pilavachi, who um, is uh, based in the UK, amazing guy, just an amazing guy. And he started a movement called Soul Survivor in the UK, which I was involved with for a little while. And, you know, they have like 30 or 40,000 kids come every summer to their festivals. All they do is worship and they minister to one another. And they have like three or 4,000 kids become Christians every summer in the, the summer in the UK. And all that. It's incredible. But him and his friend, a guy called Matt Redmond, church planted in Watford in uh, London. And they... Um, Started this little church, and Matt Redman has gone on to become a well, somewhat well-known worship leader, written a bunch of great songs. And, uh, but he's just this little kid from a very broken home. He'd been abused, his dad had been just horrific upbringing. Turned up to this youth group, God just healed him, and he just loved Jesus with everything that he had. So they start this church, uh, and they're great musicians, uh, like we do. Amazing musicians. But then at one point, Mike Pilavachi, the pastor of the church, realised that that they were beginning to miss something because it had become, it had become a bit of a um, consumer uh, thing. And, uh, and, you know, people were saying things, Mike was saying, like, oh, worship didn't do anything for me tonight. Or, you know, I don't like that song or I can't worship to that song. Um, and Mike got really rocked up because he's like, the first Christians worshipped as the lions ate them. And you can't worship to that song, you know? Um, you know, and they'll be like, oh, no, that bass player's on. Or, you know, it's like, oh, no, Andy's playing drums again. And it's like, I just, like, I'm out. You know, I can't worship today with that sort of timing, whatever it may be. And so, I love... See, everyone knows... <laughs> and so they... And that's the danger. We can turn worship into this consumer thing. And this is where, again, yeah, we've got a few bits and bobs and stuff, but it's like... But we can't rely on a great subwoofer for us to feel like we want to yeah. worship. Yeah. Or like, we can't be going, unless it sounds like Hillsong, I'm not interested. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, that's consumerism. Yeah. And what God wants to do in us is he wants us to become people of the presence yeah. of God. Yeah. And so what Mike Pilavachi did is he sacked, he sacked the worship team. Yeah. He was like, this is crazy. We've, got, we've turned to consumers. And he, he said, look, I've calmed down a bit since then. He probably wouldn't go to that extreme. But I'm like, love it, Mike. You know, he did, they sacked it. And they said, from now on, we're going to get together. And if people don't bring something, it's going to be awkward. And he's like, for the first Sunday, it was awkward. It was so, it was agony. He said, agony is the word he used. Absolute agony. It was horrific. And he's like, oh. And, and like, people are like, bro, people are just going to be leaving this church left, right, and centre and going to other churches. And he was like, great. Because we aren't, we aren't gonna, we're gonna have people that want to worship him, whether we've got all the stuff or not. And they did the next Sunday, agony, awkward. And then the next Sunday, and someone just began to sing a song, a cappella, and a few people joined in, awkward. Next Sunday, people just began to sing, sing out of praises to the Lord. Someone brought a word. Someone brought a scripture. And they just began to sing out and sing a new song to the Lord. And, and it was like, Mike was like, it was like God walked back into the room. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden they'd stripped it back. At that point, little Matt Redman has been sacked as the worship leader. <laughs> and he's like, okay. He goes into his room and just begins, and he's just worshiping the Lord in his room. And he writes the song called The Heart of Worship during that season as a church. And this is the lyrics. We're going to sing this in a second. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come 
longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. And so Matt Redman, after about four weeks, Mike said, all right, you're you're allowed to play just you. And, And Matt said, do you mind if I bring a song that I've written during this time? And he began to sing that song. And Mike, um, and then they, um, they thought, oh, they might record it. And Mike said, no one's going to be interested because it's just a song for this context. He couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> it went viral, blah, blah, blah. But it's because it tapped into something. Amen. I'm gutted that our gear's been stolen, but I'm really excited about the journey that we are going to take as we learn to love him in a deeper way. Sounds and songs and instruments and vocal cords and melodies are just tools for expressing our love to God. They're helpful tools and we're praying we get our gear back because it makes my life more tricky. But ultimately, God wants to do something in our midst to bring us back to the heart of worship. So we're going to learn to to worship Him. I don't know what it's going to look like next Sunday. You know, we're just going to make, we're going to build the bridge as we walk on it. But we're just going to worship Him. And that's what we're going to do today. I've got lots more I want to say, but that's enough talk. Let's worship him.